Welcome back to Shrinking It Down, Mental Health Made Simple. I'm Dr. Jean Bresson. And I'm Dr. Steve Schlossman. And we have a guest, Dr. Ellen Broughton, who's an Associate Director of the Clay Center for Young Healthy Minds. So we're starting off with a series. And um, many of us as parents wonder about, like, should my does my child need to see a professional? Should my child go to a therapist? And we thought that it would be really valuable for us to kind of have some discussions about, like, how do we decide, how do we know what's normal and what's not normal, and then kind of navigate that world with you guys. So, Steve, what should parents be looking for? Oh, uh, you know what, this is, it's such a broad question, right? So, so, it comes to us all the time. How do I know if my kid needs some help? What should I look for in my kid that sort of separates them from being like a normal, irritable kid? One of the dilemmas is that we define things like depression in kids as being irritable, wanting a lot of carbohydrates, wanting to sleep all the time, which sounds a lot like being a teenager. So it's really hard to sort of tease these things apart. So I, I, think, I think we might be better off in answering this question if we create a kind of hypothetical story. And we can use this story to, to run through everything that we talk about. So, And this is not a real story. This is a compilation of yeah, we would all never, kinds of kids that we've seen over the years and it's, we're just kind of taking bits and pieces from everything else. Yeah, yeah, so, so never in a million years would we obviously talk about our patients here. But there's a certain similarity that a lot of folks have in common, that's how they end up coming through the door. So let's, what do we want to call him? What should we call this kid? Well, I called him Melvin. You didn't like Melvin. Are you okay with that's, Melvin? Melvin's okay. Mel. Okay. Mel. 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 He's like a 96-year-old guy. <laughs> right. He's the oldest, he's, he's the the oldest, oldest man child in the world. psychiatry patient in the history of the world. He's okay. actually not. So okay. Mel is a 13-year-old scrawny kid okay. Okay. with acne okay. who's uh, kind of a nerdy guy. Boy little, squeaks probably. Yeah, a little self-conscious. Hasn't you know, quite made his way into puberty. Doesn't quite know where he's fitting in, but he's kind of got friends and he's at school. Have you looked at my middle school yearbooks. I feel like you're talking about someone I right yet. Right. And so, and so Mel, uh, I'll ask you, Ellen. So let's say Mel, parents notice that he's not talking as much, he's spending more time in his room, he's maybe playing more video games, he's... Well, not, just clarify, how much more video games? Well, let's say instead of a couple hours a day, let's say he's playing six or eight hours. Six or eight hours. A long hour. time. You know, he's just, you know, skipping dinner and staying up there and saying, no, I'm, I'm playing. That's a long time. It's a long time. Yeah. Okay. But so it's it's out of the ordinary. But but let's say they've noticed a change. So what do you think? Well, I, I think it kind of brings into play the sorts of things that parents do worry about. Um, are things going okay at school? Are things going okay emotionally? Is he developmentally appropriate? Is he developing like his peers are? Um, or is he um, anxious, depressed? Um, so I think any of those things could be possible. Uh, he could, as you were saying, also just be a normal teenager as well, who's just going through a couple of weeks of, of something that you know happened maybe in school. It's just making things a little more tough for him. He'd rather just immerse himself in video games. But I think it sort of brings into play all those sorts of areas that we kind of worry so, about. So, as a so just just to summarize it, so you mentioned that parents are looking at a number of things: academics, peers, activities, um, behavior at home in the family. Mm -hmm. And, and she mentioned developmentally appropriate, which is a term I've used actually with med students, and they get kind of put off by it because they feel like I'm calling some people inappropriate. We don't mean that no, when we no, say it. No, no. So what do we mean? 
We mean that our, our, is he developing at a rate and at a, a pace similar to his peers? So, you know, for a, a year old child, we would say, are they walking? Are they starting to speak a few words? In, in the teen years, it's, it's a little bit different. It's, um, are they doing the sorts of things that a normal teen might do, but that what, a typical but, but, teen but, might do? But look, let's face it, most folks uh, don't have a study development. Most parents are wondering, is this normal or is this not normal? They might intuitively know developmental Yes, I think, I think that's what it is. I think, like in talking about his parents, it's that feeling that parents have that they, something's just not right, that kind of feeling in their gut that they sort of worry about. Something's not quite right. And they may not be able to pinpoint that, oh, at teens at this age do this, right. or even you know my two-year-old should be doing that. But it's that feeling like there's something that just doesn't feel right. And I think that's the first kind of seed that you're talking so about. So one is their own intuition that yeah. something is, is out of whack. Yes. And the second one might be that you mentioned is comparing him to other kids that they may know, you know, whether they, you know, if they, if they go to church or, or synagogue or see kids in the playground or see his friends, they see him as, or, or they, think, they think of their own childhood. He's acting differently than I would think a 13-year-old guy would be, would be behaving. Mm -hmm. So a comparative. Yeah. And, and just to be and clear, I, uh, this is really scary for parents, like yes. when this happens, yeah. um, in part because of the uncertainty. Like it's, it's all, you don't know, like you don't want to overreact, yeah. but at the right. same time you don't want to miss something. And as we've gotten more comfortable as a culture accepting the possibility that kids can run into psychological problems, the onus becomes more in the parents to be able to see it in time yes. to do something yes. about it. So they don't, I guess that's why we're doing these No, I, I think it's one of the, yeah. the, the, the toughest thing that a parent has to deal with is, is my child okay emotionally or yeah. behaviorally? I mean, it's, it's one thing, we all get worried about our children when they're struggling with an ear infection or the flu, but it, that emotional component is so hard for parents right. to have to right. deal with. And, and the thing that I pointed out in the story is that they've noticed a change. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that, that may tweak them and tweak most of us is, you know, you kind of expect your kids, you know, they're behaving in a certain way, but then when there's a change in behavior, that's often a big red flag, isn't it? It is. Uh, it can also be normal, too. Right, right. I just and that's to the point tough that thing. Out. Yeah. How many parents <laughs> come in and, well, I'll, I'll take it back. So parents come in and say, the kid's changed, and I'll say, well, it may just be a phase. Right. They may be going through something. Like, a, we do expect a two-year-old to be more independent, and with that comes tantrums. And so, right. it, and the same thing with a, with a teen, we expect them to be more independent, less connected from us. And that's where, I think that's why they come to us, is to figure out, is that, uh, is that change normal right, right, or is it not? Right, because they might actually do things to pull away from us that to right. parents look kind right. of excessive or different, but it might just be their desire to take a step out on their own. Right. So look, right. so, so, so just to clarify things for, for our listeners. For Melvin. Our, and for Melvin's parents. For, Melvin. for, for Mel's parents out there, um, you have a sense that something is changing. So one, what do, you, what do you look for? And two, what do you do about it? Where do you go? Who do you call? I mean, many parents, and this yeah. is scary. So, you know. I, I think the important thing is you, you call and you reach out to someone because that's how you find out if this is appropriate or not. So, so it can be um, the child's teacher, the pediatrician, uh, another parent of a, of a child in his class. What you say is really important is that parents should check in probably with other people in Mel's life who know him. Mm -hmm. So has the teacher noticed anything different? Has the coach noticed anything different? Have you know maybe friends, parents noticed and, anything and, different? You know what? And 
pediatrician. But, but just one second. None of that is, is definitive, right? Right. Because we actually know that the last thing to suffer for kids is the way they look in the world outside of your house. There, there's so much pressure for them to remain connected culturally. And to behave to, appropriately to the context. Right, right. So you're going to see them laughing with their friends after school, which is probably a good sign, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing well. It doesn't mean they're not doing well either. If they're not laughing with their friends and they used to be, yes. th then I get worried. Yeah. So the biggest That's red it. flag, so, 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 just, so let's, let's do some take-home messages here. Check in with other people. And if they're doing okay in all these other areas, maybe you have less to worry about. If they're not doing okay out there, then you really should be worried. But like you said, Steve, sometimes they'll put on an act out there and they're really suffering and struggling. And you, you, so you don't have that red flag. So let's say they're laughing at school, that you know, the teachers and their parents friends say, oh no, Mel's, Mel's Mel, he's great. But you notice that there's something different at home. Then what, what do you do? Well, one thing we haven't mentioned is just talking to Mel as a parent, kind of oh, talking to him. We could do that. We could actually talk to the yes. yes. 13-year-old. And, and sort of checking in with him and seeing what's going on with him. Now, that doesn't mean he's necessarily going to give us but these But how, how do you address the issue? Because so what do we notice? So Mel is shut down a little bit. He's more isolative. He's not, he's playing, he's, you know, not socializing as much. Um, his behavior has changed. Okay. Well, I, I think one of the things you want to, in terms of talking to him, he might not be forthcoming. A lot of 13-year-olds are not. So you want to uh, sort of talk around it, I think, talk about what's going on at school for even other kids, what's sort of happening for other people, okay. um, what's sort of happened in his peer group or in school. Or So I think that's one way to sort of approach it is not necessarily directly. Mm -hmm. I'd yeah, like I've to think we could that, do that, that but I think... Well, the, yes, last thing yes. kid, the last thing a 13-year-old wants is, is to say, is, oh, we got to sit down and have a talk. Right, yes. Oh, yes, I'm feeling depressed and yeah, that's, yeah, they don't typically do well, that. Well, usually when you say we want to have a talk, you're going to talk about <laughs> where babies come and then they're out the door. Right. So you're The not same with this, like that. how are right. you feeling is oftentimes yeah. not a good opening line yeah. for a, the 13-year-old. So, so what, do you say, is everything all right? Or do you say, how are things at school? Or do you say, Well, I think you things? can actually just, yeah, how are things? Or even yeah. just reflect back. I sort of noticed that you've been and different. sort of feeling Some different. things have changed. Yeah, and I'm, I'm feeling just kind of concerned. Like you sort of voice your own your own concerns and not overblowing it because that also causes them to shut down, I think. So one, thing, one other thing about this before we even deal with in the present is that oftentimes a good tip for parents, since one of the things we really want to do in these shows is give you guys tips about how to, how to kind of handle these situations, is when you start talking with your kids at a very young age so that the culture and the norms at home is to kind of just chat and not just really sit down and have like therapy sessions or family meetings, but just talking about things, talking about sports, talking about friends, talking about, you know, stuff in the family, but getting, having kids talk with you, if it becomes part of the norm, then you're not just kind of out of the blue saying like, well, Mel, yes, we've seen something really different here. Mel, we haven't spoken in three months, but now I'd like to <laughs> yes, talk to you. Yes. Right. So, so, so step one is take it back and start young with these kids. And maybe Mel will be able to say, you know, yeah, Ma, you know, things have been tough. And then you can have a conversation. Yeah. Well, I gotta say, more often, they, he won't say, no. yeah, things have been more tough. Often, yeah. More often, he'll say, how things with fine. the patients fine. I've seen. It's yeah. So are these, but are these the, the Well, he might, he might say, yeah, things are fine, but there's gonna be a music to the way he says it. 
and that's what and that's probably what the parents are responding to yeah. in the first place. They're picking up yeah. on 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 the the, the emotion on their what we call the limbic system, on 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 the music. Yeah, yeah. The music. Yeah. The words and the music aren't going together. Yeah. There's a disconnect. Yeah. So what's so bad about all this stuff? Well, actually, it's it it is kind of on the milder side of things. But let me up the ante. So let's say that over the course of a few weeks, um, male gets more irritable. Male who's typically kind of an easygoing, kind of a chill guy, has some explosions. Let's say that you know, you overhear him having a fight with his friends and he never ever fights with his friends. So he's getting angry, irritable, kind of like really nasty. And then what would you do? Well, one of the things I look at is what else was going on in his life at that time. What are, what's happening in the family? What's happening at school? Uh, sometimes it can just be a breakup with a girlfriend, a first girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. Um, and so you want, you want to just check out what's going on in the environment to make sure there's nothing that's causing this. But what concerns me about what you're saying is that it's not getting any better and it's getting worse. Right. And that's a really bad warning sign. Um, the longer this goes on, the more worried we get, the more it seems to deteriorate in terms of his symptoms, the more worried we yeah, get. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm sorry. So what you're saying is that the less permission we have to say, oh, this is a phase. Right, right. exactly. Like the, right. It's a phase. Instead of, right. So in terms of trying to figure out, does my child need help, looking at the length of time and the intensity of it, I think that's the two things that you really want to consider in terms of, does my child need help? Right, right. And, and also what's going on in his life that you might be able to tweak or change or address that might. And, and think about it, I guess, in the shoes of a 13-year-old, breaking up with a girlfriend, I've done it many times, <laughs> you know, I got married, it's... Well, you break up with it, them or they broke up with oh, you. They always broke up with me. Right. Um, but it's immensely, okay. immensely painful, right? It is. And when you're 13, it is the end of the world. So yes. the parent says, oh, it's nothing. There's two mistakes there. One is it actually might be something huge in the kid's mind, and even if it's something huge, but they'll get through it, you don't want to act like it's nothing and make them feel right. bad. Right. So it could be the harbinger of something bad. So coming. another tip yes. is take is take seriously what your kids are experiencing, even if you think that it's in the big scheme of things it's trivial. For a 13-year-old, it is life or death. It is it is the worst thing that could have ever happened to me, ever. Yeah, that I've is one of the biggest triggers. Totally forgiven Sarah McLaughlin for breaking up with me when I was 13. I don't think about it ever now, just <laughs> record. I'm glad you got over it. Yeah, that's, I'm yeah. still over it. Okay, so, so let's say we decide as parents that um, we're ready to you know, get some help. And so how do you approach, the next step is, you know, you wanna find somebody, but you certainly wanna prepare the kid, right? Even before you address it with the kid, I think you have to address it with yourself. So it's very rare for me to see a child who doesn't want to see me if their parent is enthusiastic about it. But if their parent is ambivalent, that tends to be the kind of child who's also ambivalent himself. So I think you have to sort of check in with yourself, is this what I want? And then you have to find a competent person so that you feel confident that this person is going to draw your child in. Like it's, it, you know, if you can get them through the door, you want to make sure that that person is going to take it from there and build an alliance. So I think two, two things, you've got to be confident that you're making the right decision and then find somebody good. And that's not always that easy to do. Both, okay. neither easy, It's really. never easy. It, it's not easy to be confident and it's not easy to find a good person. Right. So let's take, let's split them apart. What would you advise parents about becoming confident in their decision? I think um, knowing that uh, no one's development is easy and that reaching out to somebody is not a, 
a dishonorable thing or something to be ashamed of, but most parents feel that a little bit. They feel like I, if I was a good parent, I wouldn't need to be seeking help for this. So I think kind of dealing with your own emotions around that. But you mean parents blaming themselves? Yes. Okay, yes. so that's one issue. What about the stigma of, of having your kid going to see a shrink? I think a lot of parents do still, even though they're very open about many things, or talking about it in the, you know, about abstract. someone abstract, <laughs> right. they're still, not oh, my not kid. my kid. <laughs> and almost all of us feel that way, that yep. there's something like, you know, yeah. boy, if, if, you know, if I were doing a great job as a parent, my child wouldn't need to see a shrink or yeah, get yeah. an evaluation. And I think just really knowing that it's okay and actually it's, it's not What, what I've said to parents is if you're, you know, if Mel had a headache, for three weeks and it just wasn't getting better, you would take him in to see someone. You, yeah. you, you know, and you, would, you wouldn't worry that maybe this was overreacting or that right. they're, right. so that, that sort of skirts the stigma issue but puts it in this model that they right. can understand. So, and then I say, this is kind of the psychological equivalent of that headache that's worrying you. Yeah. And yeah. there's not a lot of reason for you to worry. Right. In other words, you shouldn't have to worry without getting it checked out. There might be something to worry about, but you should have yes. someone you can go talk right. to. Right. And we all think we're the only ones. You know, every parent thinks that he or she is the only person going to, and seeking help for their child, not realizing that many children in their child's classes also has also well, gone you to know, do that we, too. Well, you know, we know the data. The data is, is, that, is that one in four people will have a psychiatric problem, and 50% of these problems begin in childhood, which means everybody who's listening and watching this know somebody either in their family or friends or that you know has had a, a problem you know in, in their family right and oftentimes with a kid or an adolescent right and one way to rationalize I don't even know if that's quite the right word but to know that the earlier we intervene the best the outcome is the better the outcome is going that's to be for their child so that's a you know if we're as a parent struggling with that that's a good way to kind of look at that so can I ask you what do you say Ellen I, mean, I know what I would say but what do you say if, I've often you may heard say parents better, so say, yes. well, I've often heard say, like, <laughs> how do I know I'm not going to do more damage by, by kind of forcing them to do this? Like, like I just worry, Steve, that, that making my kid go see somebody is going to be such a rift between us that, um, that I won't be able to repair that, and I'll make it even worse. Uh, if you're seeing somebody competent, I, I, I feel confident that that's, I trust the process of therapy. Actually, I'm curious to see what you would say to this. Well, um, a rift between us, so what you're, you're, yeah. I think there are a couple issues here. You're talking about if I send him to a shrink, there's going to be some kind of a breach between in our relationship. Well, if they don't want to go. If they don't want to go. If they don't want to go. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's been that's, the concern. So parents have said, I really don't want to make him go because they really don't want to go, and I feel like I've just barely got him listening to me anyhow. So now to kind of twist their arm and make them go feels not it'll, right. It'll hurt me. the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. another concern that I have heard over and over is, what's it going to do his own self-esteem? How is he going to feel about himself if I'm saying to him, you got a problem, you've got, you're sick, yeah. you need some help. And then I'm kind of like saying that he's got, you know, it's his, it's his problem. When in fact, you know, the, the mind, the body, brain, and the environment are also interconnected it's it's not anybody's it's, it's not any one person's fault it's not any one you know but we know that from data but it does make people feel you know it's it's hard for anybody to go to see a shrink because you feel bad about yourself there's still stigma yeah yeah so what do, we so say? What do you say I want to know what you, but yeah I'm curious to hear what, what I've said is well first of all I, I sort of quote the evidence and I'll say right, there exactly. is really yes. no, there's evidence no data to that show shows that, that this is going to be a harmful if you, if you 
find someone who doesn't have to be the best person on earth, just has to be a competent person. Mm -hmm. It's not going to, you're not going right. to do harm. Right. And your child will much, would much more like to think of you as somebody who was willing to investigate and yes. make sure that yeah. they're okay yes. than somebody who let a problem slide if right. it weren't right. there. You don't, like, that's not a, and, a risk you want to take. And, and I think parent, or kids really like to know their parents are in charge, that they are going into someone's office knowing that we're going to figure out what this is and we're going to fix this. Right. At the same time of sort of keeping it kind of matter of fact. And I think that's where when parents get emotional about this decision, which is an emotional decision, but when they sort of show that to their kids, I think that's where the kids can start to pick up on that anxiety, but just sort of say, you know what, we've got an issue here, we're going to figure out how to do it, I'm the parent and I'm going to help you okay. do that. I think that that can just be very soothing to a child or an adolescent. So if the parents are together and they're confident and they're not ambivalent and they've worked this out and they've presented this to the kid, so then the big question is, how do you find somebody? I mean, how do you find somebody that's competent? How do you find somebody who you can trust and who you, you know, will, will, not, will not mess your kid up? Because the other myth is, is that shrinks are crazy, shrinks have crazy kids, and shrinks are going to mess people up, you know, and they're not going to be helpful. Yeah, all three of those can't be true. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> yes. But I, I'm exaggerating, obviously. But, you know, I mean, we've got a bad, we've got a bad, you know, rep out there. Well, it's, it's extremely hard. Like, there, there aren't that, there aren't enough of us to go around. Right. Um, and but so. You've written a book about this. Right? So I you, have. <laughs> I know. And there, there just, there just aren't, there aren't enough people to go around. So, to. so there. So just to be clear, that's not a figure of speech Gene's using. Ellen's actually yes, written yes, has the book <laughs> about this. About how um, to get mental health, how to help, how to get mental health. Like, it could not be more so, bluntly titled. So, right. so, uh, yeah. Yes, exactly. And so I think really the best way to find someone, though, if you can't find someone, um, and a lot of it depends on where you live in the country, um, but even in the best, in the places where we have the best ratios between professionals and children who need help, it's still really tough. And But I think talking to somebody else, getting a reference from somebody you really trust, yeah. looking at their credentials, um, making sure you're going to someone yeah. who's licensed, whether it's a social worker, or a psychologist, a psychiatrist, um, I think that's that's key yeah. to know that they're they have a certain um, amount of credentials that allow them to practice. Well, and people you trust. So who are they? So, the, so your pediatrician. Pediatrician. Friends. Friends are really important. Teachers, you know, uh, counselors at school. Mm -hmm. I mean, people who've had experience. Yes. And then you know, get a bunch of names. I, I think uh, one of the things is you have to then decide if that person is right for you. Okay. So just because that person is is great and well respected, and they they very likely are, that doesn't mean that it's perfect for you. And I think going into this, telling a 13-year-old that we're going to try this, we're going to kind of see how, how you like this person, how I like this person, that sort of gives them a little bit of so, power in this, in this decision-making yeah, process. Yeah. They don't get to make the decision, no. but they get to decide whether or not this is the kind of person they Well, you know, so one of the with. things that I've learned over the years is that, and, and I have often say to 13-year-olds when they come in is, um, you know, um, I mean, I talk to them, I try to get to know their story, I try to find out, figure out what's going on. But then I usually say something like, um, you know, your parents are sending you to see somebody. I may not be the right person for you. I might remind you of an uncle that you hate. If that's the case, you shouldn't see me, number one. And number two, the door's open. Mm -hmm. You can walk out, you can leave. Now, your parents may send you to somebody else, but if you don't feel comfortable here, if you don't feel, and you don't decide today, but 
uh, if you don't feel that this is the right match, because that's what you're talking yes, about, yeah. that's where the kid does have a big yes. say in the matter, yes. yes, as well as the parents. And yes. I, you know what? I don't even put them on the spot. I, what I say is, I don't want even want you to answer this now. I want you to go home and, and think, think about, about it, it and talk about it with your parents. Um, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I'd love to be able to help you if I can, but if it's not the right fix, that's, that's fine. So why don't you go home and think about it and let me know. And so pointing out trying to find a competent person, I would look for that in a competent yeah. person, that ability to sort of be flexible, to not adhere to one sort of way of treating a child, to be able to know their own level of competency really, um, to be able to talk about that with the child and the parent, about here's what I can offer, here's where I think I can be helpful. Yeah. And they should be able to answer that for you. Right. I think, Steve, what you, you know, what you both said is really important because what we're saying is is that, you know, it's the parent's decision to bring a kid in for evaluation. The kid doesn't have a choice. But the kid has to feel in that office, mm -hmm. that Mel has to feel, that he's respected, that he's, you know, that he's got some choice, that we're treating him as an autonomous individual who can kind of like figure out whether this is the right place for him or not and let him sit on it and think about it and give him that kind of freedom and that respect. And you know, it, 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 without that, it's not gonna fly. I mean, even the data suggests that regardless of the treatment orientation, and I'm sure at some point you'll be talking about the different, different kinds different of- Different therapies, um, yeah. It, it's really the relationship, the quality of the relationship right, with the true. person administering the, the, the treatment that is most important. So that is really important to make yeah. sure that that relationship so, is- I'm so glad you brought this. So something as we wrap up here, you, I get these calls from parents that say, I need a CBT doc, or I need a dialectical behavioral therapy, and and they've read the studies, and the studies show that say cognitive CBT, behavioral therapy cognitive is behavioral the most. Therapy. And these are all absolutely true facts. And I'll say, we're going to work to find that for you. But what matters more than that, even, and and I yes. can rest comfortably yes. on the data, is the relationship that your child has with that doc, no matter what kind of therapy they practice. It's not just the relationship with a shrink; it's with any professional. That's so. Yeah, all doctors. Yeah psychologists, nurses, attorneys, professionals in general. You know, what matters is that you feel that not just the person has great credentials, we want that. We want great knowledge, skills, right. whatever. But you've got to feel that you can be yourself, trust this person, and that there's a relationship that really matters. And, uh, and, and, and all the data shows that that's probably the most important thing in a professional relationship. Exactly. So what are we going to talk about next time? I think what we should talk about next time is what do you do in the first meeting? So like once you've gotten there, what happens? I mean, many folks who are watching haven't taken their kid to a shrink or haven't gone to a shrink, uh, and what happens? What, what, are, what are the expectations? What's supposed to happen? You know, what, what can you ask for, you know, uh, in the first meeting? So thanks for watching. I'm Gene Bereson. I'm Steve Schlossman. And, and thanks, Ellen. You're welcome. She gets to say who she is. Oh, say who oh you are. I'm Ellen Broughton. Of course. <laughs> <laughs>